So Evan, before we get into this week's episode, I'd like to take a moment to give a special announcement to our listeners. Uh, is, is it special to me as well? It's, I think it's special to everyone, yeah, it, and also you're a listener. I want to let everyone know that my hair has now completely grown back out. I no longer have the alt-right skinhead look. I'm back <laughs> to a full-fledged, complete, uh, full head of hair, as you can see, Evan, as you, I'm showing you. You used the word full, and then you angled your head towards me yeah you can see it's complete it's so luscious you know how after a forest fire <laughs> yes i know how after a forest you, fire you what you get like the the new the new growth you you see sort of these sparse saplings that start, start yeah. to come up before it becomes like an old what are the old you know like the old hardwood yeah like forest. redwoods you, you may be more in the uh in the new growth stage but... <laughs> What, what if there's a forest fire and then to put that forest fire out like airplanes drop salt from high above <laughs> so that the fledglings are, are having to grow in a supremely unfertile uh, setting did you hear about the you know there's, there's like a bunch of forest fires in california did you hear about how they got started no how did they get started um this is a great intro to our podcast scooby dudes by the way Let, let's do yeah two dudes talking about their favorite meddling kids also talking about the fact that um, sometime in the 1920s, um, the Californians bought a whole bunch of eucalyptus trees from Australia and planted them, um, not realizing the fact that they would take 100 years to mature, uh, and that when they matured, they would be full of flammable sap. No. Really? This is, yeah. this is a true yeah. fact. Yeah. A- apparently you can look it up, and I sure hope that's true, because I have not <laughs> looked it up myself. This is dangerous <laughs> misinformation positive. if we are... We are uh, we are false mind. That's fascinating. Again, listeners, I have great hair. That's the big thing I wanted to bring up at the beginning of this podcast. And I'm no longer a skinhead. Uh, great, great, great hair. That was um, that was that Chris Rock documentary that they made about your uh, <laughs> that they made about your scalp. <laughs> they oh my scalp. <laughs> yeah. It was a. People thought that it was a sequel to Good Hair, Mm-mm. but no, it was just about you and your hairline. Yeah, it was about me and my hairline. My hairline wraps around the hair that I have on the very front. <laughs> you see that? I've got this little it's, island it's of hair on the front of my head, and then a bald spot behind it, and then more hair behind that. <laughs> I know you love making fun of my hair, Evan, so I thought I'd, I'd help us out at the beginning. It, it's so funny that this is sort of a... This is this is a real um, close-up glimpse at your actual physical hairline. I would call it a deep cut. <laughs> oh, Chihuahua! As uh, Scooby Dudes, uh, listen to the listen to our theme song. Two dudes talking about Scooby Doo. Two dudes just like you, unless you're a lady. Mm, this show is for ladies too. If you're LGBTQ. We are your Scooby-Doo's. That was the theme song. This is the episode. We're doing episode three of the 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo. Quick note, this is a a continued storyline. Unlike most episodes of Scooby-Doo, there is a long-running story here, so you might want to catch episodes one and two that we did of 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo, which were... We did episode four, which was... Uh, to all the ghouls I've loved before. So if you want to go back, listen to episode four, that would be the first one to listen to. Our episode four was 13 Ghosts episode one. Our episode... 17. 17 was 13 Ghosts episode two. 
Uh, it was Scubra Cadubra. Scubra Cadubra. Mm. And uh, and this one, episode three of Thirteen Ghosts, Me and My Shadow Demon. I don't know what I was expecting going into this, but I, I did not get what I expected. Also, this isn't to to our to our listeners, both Christian uh, of another religion or like secular. I just want to let you know. <laughs> Those are the three uh, options for you, by the way. It's Christian, non-Christian, and secular. That's it. There are only, you know, how there are only two genders. There are only three uh, religious affiliations. Or two genders. There's male, not male, and non-gendered. I guess <laughs> non-gendered you think would be included in not male. Gender, Sorry, go okay. ahead. Gender. Okay, first off, gender is a construct. Secondly, mm-hmm. we we touched on this in our first episode that we ever did. Um, to all the girls I've loved before. Uh, when Thirteen Ghosts came out, you you found that one documentary on YouTube. Ah, uh, what was it? The Corruption of the Innocent, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it had it had to do with like the occult showing up in Scooby Doo. And I just want to say, there's no message here. The fact that the last episode we did was a friend hound meets demons underground, and this one being me and my shadow demon. We're not doing a demon series. We're not getting. We're not trying to be more satanic as the Scooby Doo. That's not the direction we see ourselves going. But it is interesting how many Scooby Doo episodes don't seem to be like Bigfoot in a costume. They seem to have, like, demonic, satanic themes to them, which is scary, and I get that it's uh, it's scary, especially in a supernatural series such as this one, BT Dubs, 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo is supernatural and has real monsters and magic. So so we've been gone for quite a while. For those of you who haven't listened to our, ep- to our fourth episode and our 17th episode, we'll provide a little bit of context. We're not going to read the synopses for this episode. We're just going to give you a rundown of what's taking place so far, mm. and then we are going to dive into it. So, basically, Fred and Velma are not in the picture. Replacing them, we have Scrappy, who we've met before, and we have Flim Flam, a brand new character with a lot of toot and a yellow sweat jumpsuit. Yeah, Flim Flam is um, a child uh, and kind of a, a huckster, if that's a word that you're familiar with. A, he, yeah, a, a, a con artist. almost literal snake oil salesman. When we very nearly in the first episode so that's the game we have we also have supporting them from a distance vincent van Gool, voiced by vincent price who's a uh, a magician a a uh, expert in the dark arts who uh, gives them support via crystal ball and the reason that vincent van Gool, who i have in my notes called vvg me too <laughs> okay excellent i was so tired of typing it out um, the reason he needs to provide support is because in the first episode, Scooby and Shaggy release 13 ghosts, or ra- or actually demons, from this chest, mm. and they must now go and collect them all. Like, yes. Pokemon, but minus 80... <laughs> wait, how much were the... How, many, how much in the first generation? 101, uh, right? Uh, I don't know. Sorry. Especially, do we count Mew There and are Mew 150 too? and more to see. Oh, there you remember uh, the tagline. So there you go. 150 minus 13 is... So... It's like Pokemon, but 137 less. Um, but again, the question is whether or not we're going to catch Mew and Mewtwo in 13 Ghosts. Oh, shoot. Were they 151 and 152? I think so. That's my yeah, question. Yeah, that must have been yeah. the deal. Anyway, uh, we're talking original generation. N- none of this matters. <laughs> what matters is they're trying, to, they're trying to catch these ghosts. Presumably, it's going to be the Shadow Demon this time, I would think. That is what the title would lead us to believe. So, why don't we go ahead and dive right in. Me and My Shadow Demon, episode 3 of the 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo. So, we open this episode, and Vincent Van Gogh's crystal ball has been broken. It's on the floor. 
and then we see the shadow demon. He's all like, oh, who broke my crystal ball? And we see the shadow demon in question uh, fly out the window. He's definitely the culprit here. Can you describe this shadow demon for us? I mean, he looks a little bit like a, uh, almost like puckish in the, in the skinny legs and horns and, and bright yellow eyes and kind of spiky, vague body. Uh, but How like, would you describe the demon? I, I think you're right. Yeah, like horns, kind of like a traditional, like like imp, but maybe not as not as skinny. Maybe imp, a little bit more. Imp body. is the word I'm looking for. There's um, there's something mischievous about this design. But then like f- like flat, you know, there's no like texture or anything because it is a sh- it is a shadow. Yeah, purely flat, and yeah, like some sort of slightly animalistic, a giant gaping fanged yellow maw. Yeah. So what is it? It steals the crystal ball. It just breaks it. It just knocks it. It ostensibly just knocks it off the table. Uh, and we then cut to the gang, which, again, is without Fred and Velma, but does have Scrappy and Flim Flam. They're all entering a cave. Like a mining cave. So so they're in what is not the Mystery Machine. It's more of like a red uh, RV, Yeah, it almost. looks like what Johnny Quest's team would drive around. And I don't know why they... I mean, I do know why they're not driving the mystery machine. It's because it's Fred's car, and Fred's not here. His mystery machine! My mystery machine! So this is what it's like to sit in the back. This is... this is un, I was going to use unprecedented, but that sounds like it's too important. This has not been mentioned prior, but they're using a little gadget called the Spectre Detector. Yeah, which apparently detects ectoplasm, which we learn is uh, what ghosts are made of. And then there's this whole sort of... There's this whole discussion about... Uh, ghosts because Shaggy says he thought he thought they were made of nothing and then Daphne says so matter-of-factly well some ghosts are made of shadows <laughs> and it's like when did you all become experts at the, the, yeah. the supernatural you've had one episode in which you've been aware of the supernatural because the first episode they weren't really aware of it and then you caught one ghost in the second episode which was actually like a demon magician and had nothing to do with shadows so maybe there was a time in between when they split off of Mystery Inc. And now, oh my goodness, I don't know how they got this gear or they got to be experts. But that we're establishing that it's going to be a shadow demon this time. And Scooby's in- instantly scared of his own shadow, which is a little bit of a callback to our most previous this episode. Past episode I, yeah. Which I also thought of. Uh, one thing I thought was very funny about this whole exchange, I just want to take a brief second, is um, ectoplasm. That's what ghosts are made of. Which is struck me as being one of those like blues clues esque moments, like for the kids. Yeah, it it was a, a very like didactic kind of delivery, as if that's this is an important fact that we should all know. Ectoplasm. That's what ghosts are made of. Look both ways when you cross the street. It was that like there was a valuable piece of information being passed on. Uh, the the shadow demon shows up, mm. um, and does something that I think is actually very cool. Mm. Because it blow, they're they're in this coal mine. It blows in their direction, and their headlamps go out. Ah, they, I didn't even catch that. So they they were presumably using candle headlamps. I'm pretty sure they were electric headlamps. They looked electric. So there's mm, that's actually even cooler. Yeah, it's it's a really cool idea that this shadow demon has control over like darkness, and it's um putting out light regardless of whether or not it makes sense for that to happen. So it blows out their headlamps. They're chasing back after it. Um, it leads them onto a unsturdy rope bridge, which it then breaks. So they fall down, down, down into this pit, and it snatches the demon chest away from them right as they fall. And look, they're plummeting, and as luck would have it, it's so fortunate. <laughs> they land in a in a minecart, which are not traditionally soft, 
like they don't traditionally have soft surfaces. Yeah, you wouldn't think so. This is a problem I had. Anytime a character falls down like two stories into a dumpster, I I hate how they come out unscathed. I feel like they should come out covered in needles and diapers, and, and like with broken limbs. That I would not want to fall uh, in a dumpster. To, to our readers. Luke comes from a very unsafe neighborhood. <laughs> Where all the babies are doing drugs. <laughs> I like that you went in that direction. For some reason, I thought of, like, the elderly shooting up. Oh, that, made, that made a little bit more sense to me. I'm thinking of a Dave Chappelle sketch where that one character... This is where that one character of his lives. The drug-dealing baby. Um, I like... There's just, like, a brief thing. They're in a minecart. Uh, did you ever play... Did you ever have a Super Nintendo... I didn't, but I did have a friend with a Super Nintendo. Did they have Donkey Kong Country 2? Ooh, ah, no, I don't think I did. I love the Donkey Kong games, though. Ooh, wait, Donkey Kong... Oh, okay, hang on. This is going to take a Google. So for our listeners, I'll put this in the show notes. Donkey Kong Country 2 has some of the best music in video games. Really? I I certainly think so. It's really, really good. You know, I did play this game a little bit. It was amazing. I ne- I only like had it borrowed, so I didn't. I did have a Super Nintendo. I only borrowed this game, so I never beat it, and it kind of haunted me. My brother and I got very far. We got yeah. like I think eighty-two percent of the way to the end. Oh man. Anyway, so the gang is in a cart. It's shooting along. As you can imagine, this is now a coal cart scene. Yeah, and and it is for our listeners who are familiar with Donkey Kong Country Two. It is like one of the mine cart levels in which you're they're just going around they're just, at one point there's a jump uh and i expected to them like in donkey kong to just like bodily just like leap over the gap you kind of like lift yourself up by your bootstraps to get over it instead they all uh, as as flim flam says as the great confused one says scream so they all scream stalactites fall from the ceiling filling the gap where the uh, rails are missing and then they just skate right over that uh and then <laughs> They then land into another very soft surface, uh, just a pile of coal. A pile of coal. Mm, I, I'm so tired. I, I love to just curl up on a nice pile of coal. They also do a Sonic the Hedgehog loop-de-loop when they're going over the uh, the coal mine, and it almost looks like we can see the outside through that loop-de-loop. Yeah, it's strange. That, uh, kind of like the last episode, where the, the, the cave's relation to the outside world is very ill-defined. Super tenuous. Very tenuous. Um, I, I gotta take a moment here and say, just because it's occurring to me right in the moment, Daphne's uh, pants are kind of weird. It looks like she's wearing capris and then socks to f- cover the space in between capris and uh, ankles. Do you know what's, what I mean? What's the problem? <laughs> it's like like she, she wanted to wear full pink pants, but she didn't have that. So she had pink capris and then pink socks that she wore to, to give the complete look. It's weird. I don't know what they're going for. We here. all know Daphne is like a Puritan from the waist down. Which, yeah. if you think about it, is the most important part of the body to it, be Puritan about. It, it, obviously, that's what she thinks. She's topless throughout this entire <laughs> episode and series, but she is very prudish from the waist down. What, what you don't know is that this was all filmed in, uh, in Ontario. Uh, the law being anywhere a man can be topless, a woman can be topless. Yeah, and... But in, in Ontario, is it would Shaggy actually be allowed to be bottomless the whole episode, <laughs> the way he is? I feel like that's that would have been illegal. that would have been illegal. That that's was, a little bit of it. Seemed like a nice contrast, the juxtaposition of a topless yeah. woman, bottomless man. It's it's very egalitarian when you think about it. 
Now I'm imagining Shaggy bottomless, and it's worse than Shaggy naked. It's much worse. I love the idea. Okay, I'm not going to say I love the idea. But <laughs> you is it- love it. Oh, man, I love that. <laughs> okay, okay, so at this point, they're freaking out. Um, and they're not freaking out because they've just almost died two to three times within the past two minutes. And they're not even freaking out because they've lost, just because they've lost the chest. It's the, and they're not even freaking out because they're afraid they're going to encounter demons because they've lost this chest. They're freaking out because they will need to uh, get Vincent Van Gogh up to date on everything that has taken place just now. And Vincent Van Gogh apparently is like the, the parent, the dad of this series, because they're all held accountable to him, apparently. I, I don't think of, um, I don't think of 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo, uh, the show, being like exceptionally funny. I, I think it I think it has some funny moments, but on the whole, it's not like one of my like laugh out loud episodes. I don't I don't think a lot of I don't think that, I think it's humorous. I don't think the humor is for me. A joke that landed mm-hmm. for me so hard is that they're like, okay, one of us has to tell Vincent Van Gogh, and there's a crystal ball that they contact him with, and they're like, well, I'm not gonna do it, and then it passes on, and they're like, not me, and he passes it on, and like I don't want to do it, and it passes on, and they do. I think almost three full circles it, it's like a hot potato but they're all doing like basketball chest passes with this crystal ball that's slain <laughs> i loved it i i loved it because if they had gone around once it would have been like okay this is fine going around twice mm. is what really like uh makes the joke land there, there's like two parts in this episode that genuinely made me laugh out loud and this is one of them in fact almost both of them are right in this scene there are some funny parts and, one of, and they're both from extending a joke farther than it seems like the joke can sustain. Um, one of the other funny things I thought was really funny is when Flim Flam does rub the crystal ball to try and summon Vincent. And he's like, oh, it seems like it's glitching up a little bit. And for a moment we see, and then later we'll see more, Vincent's face rearranged Mr. Potato <laughs> Mr. Potato yeah. Head. Mr. Oh, Potato Head. I can't yeah. believe that ever occurred to me. His, his like, lips and mustache are in his, on his forehead, so it looks like he's a mouth cyclops. <laughs> Flimflam says, uh, Vince, you know, once you hear this news, you're going to scream. Vince says, in all my years dealing with the macabre, I have never screamed. Uh, and then um, Flimflam tells him the chest has been stolen, and he does scream. And what I expected, and I get because I thought it would have been funny, was a Homer Simpson-esque, like, ah! Or, that's not it, but, like, similar <laughs> to that. <laughs> I, I was expecting a goopy. <laughs> uh, but it's just an angry scream. No, yeah, and it sounds like they overlaid a second scream with it, as if Vincent Van Price could not actually summon the will to do a completely undignified, goofy scream. But I, I was, I was disappointed because I think that's the obvious. I think joke. you're right. Um, I also want to say a little bit of context going into the scene is that Flim Flam said initially, "I'm not afraid of talking to Vincent about this." Vincent and I go way back, and it's true that when we first introduce these two characters, they're introduced as longtime friends. That's a backstory I want to see explored. How did Flim Flam and Vincent Van Gogh become buds? That's that's the buddy cop movie I really want. Uh, it turns out Vincent is he's he's mad that the chest was been, has been taken because there's the whole thing about mm. like well if we don't have the chest we can't put ghosts in it and if someone has taken the chest they can release the ghosts. Yeah, and and also Vincent Van Gogh is doing this as like a, a labor of love. It's it's kind of a a courtesy for him because he didn't cause the chest to be lost at all. He's just helping clean up the gang's mess. He he's particularly distressed because tonight of all nights is the night when the darkness and I'm quoting the darkness will be 
the powers of darkness will be at their strongest ever. And so at on this evening in particular, they'll be strong enough to destroy the chest, which is very like, um, Lord of the Ringsian. Yeah, I guess it is. And it, it also feels very uh, climactic. Like this is the culmination of the entire series. You would think would be oh either the chest is going to be destroyed or we're gonna or we're gonna capture the last ghost. But this is just the second one that we're on right now. Yeah, like there, I, I realize that this is more like horror, uh, but th- I I feel like there's some like really strong um, threads of fantasy that thread their way throughout, um, and I think that's worth talking about, uh, possibly at as we move on in this episode. Right. Um, so basically, the gang is going to go up to the scary mountain on a mountaintop, which is, I think, going to be the standard for this series, uh, and try and get the chest back from this scary mansion, which is called uh, Befuddle, Befuddle Hall. Manor. Befuddle Manor, but they also call it Befuddle Hall. They also, and okay, we'll get to that when we get to that. <laughs> okay. they, they, they are not sure what to call this place, but it is, it is atop Bald Mountain, and it is where ghosts are celebrating. Uh, and the ghosts need to destroy it before sunrise because obviously, once the sun rises, their powers will have waned. Yeah, that's that's evil creature one hundred and one. And then he's like, "There's one last thing I need to tell you." At which point, because the crystal ball has been having technical difficulties, uh, uh, this Yeah, they get a bad connection and, and it freezes. And then we cut to Vincent Van Gogh who says, "Oh no, I didn't get the chance to tell them that Befuddle Manor." Uh, is extremely confusing. It becomes, parts of it are like a giant maze. Which, just let me say, not, this doesn't feel like the most crucial information. Yeah, actually, considering what happens when we get there, there's other tips he could have given them that would be more beneficial. He's not like, you need to, like, I mean, it's, it's, it's a strange manor or building or house that is full of ghosts. I think it being large and confusing and like a maze is like par for the course is like expected yeah I, you you should expect that whereas knowing how I, I, here let's let's get to the place because i think that's going to tell us a little bit about what we're looking at the gang pulls up to this manor in their own van repainted to look like a an exterminator van the bug busters and they also i think there's a ghostbusters joke here because they're all kind of dressed a little ghostbustersy in the jumpsuits well i think i think that ghostbusters is a play on exterminate like like the ghostbuster uniforms are a play on exterminator uniforms you're right you're completely right i'm attributing i'm going the wrong direction with my attribution there uh but they're just like how will we know that they need us and then flim flams releases mice into uh into befuddle hall befuddle manor he also <laughs> he also has a box of cockroaches that uh that he opens up um there's uh there's lice there's just this he, he he's throwing all of these lice in through the window the, the lice he just shakes out of his hair yeah, yeah. he's just yeah there's this uh, guy's a, a walking bug he, farm he opens up this this basement window and into it he he throws like an entire colony of termites uh there there are bats in the gables there are uh no this this is kind of like ghostbusters who will just go from house to house releasing slimer in there and then saying hey you got a ghost problem we gotta bust that it's kind of like it's what was it called the bug busters van that's what they're called, they basically yeah. like reverse noah's ark to this <laughs> um but all of the all of the animals were were vermin so they've they've created a problem so that they can arrive wow. to, to solve it. Oh, it's deeper cut. Do you know that Noah's Ark movie that's from the termites perspective? <laughs> what? Okay, hang on. Wait, what? Hang on. 
Stowaways on the Ark. 1988, Willie the Woodworm and his family arrive on Noah's Ark by chance. When the flood hits, the Ark starts to leak and everyone puts the blame on innocent Willie because he's a woodworm. When he discovers that the termites are behind the leaks and must stop them. What? Have you never... I've seen this movie multiple times as a kid. It's one of the weirdest things ever. So so the termites are the villains. The termites are the villains and the woodworms who do eat wood are, are not. Like, they're benevolent somehow. I, I guess they're God-fearing and the termites are not. I like the idea that um, be, being the simple yet... Um, simple yet considerate creatures that they are, the woodworms and the termites came to an agreement, we will both consume the ark, but we'll start from the top and you start from the bottom. And, yeah, and then, and then the bottom ones got the, got the boot first. Because they had, well, because they have no concept of, like, How, how ships seafaring. work. I don't think the movie makers did either, because at the end of it, what happens is that the termites eat the portion of their ship that they're on, so it breaks away, and then they float away separately while the main arc is fine. Which is also not quite how she I assume work. that the termites then die. You Presumably they would, and then we would have no more termites. But that obviously doesn't happen. It, it's, it'll like, that's... Man, we should watch this movie. This fa That's fascinating. Um, Can we do it this Christmas? Because I would actually love that. We, I mean, that would be great. Our, my family's very religious, so this, this could fly. But I want to drink while I watch this movie. Everyone will want to drink when we watch this movie. <laughs> um, okay, I'm sorry that I took us so far off the rails there. We were talking bug busters and getting into the building. Flim Flam just released a bunch of pests in the building as an excuse to get in there as bug busters, so they ring the doorbell. Um, before they do that, very, very quickly, Scooby and Chuck, you don't want to go, so as is tradition. Da in, in what's a little bit of a twist, I think, Daphne is like, but there's a party... Does that work on them? That works on them, I guess. Well, because then Flim Flam's like, yeah, you know, like a party with food. Oh, yeah, that'll work. And then they're like, yeah, now we want to go, which I feel like really dumbs down Scoopy and Shaggy in a, in a pretty significant way. Yeah, well, I guess food, food is kind of their weakness. But uh, the, the, the door is answered by what looks like a kindly old granny who welcomes them in, saying that, hey, this is perfect timing you guys are showing up right now, we assume, because bugs have also just showed up, or pests have. She doesn't... You would assume that she would say it with, like, a, a layer of sarcasm? Yeah, or some kind of like, insidious like, undertone. Uh, oh, how convenient. Just as our house was overrun by pests and vermin, you arrive. But mm. no, she sounds very genuine. Yeah, I wasn't sure if she was evil until she turned out to be evil several moments later. Uh, she also... She also has a butler. Uh, is, was it... I, he looked like more of a house guest than a butler to me. Oh, I, you know what? She did call him a house guest, but he looked like she a butler actually to calls me. Him a pet. She actually calls him a pet. Really? Oh, yeah. he looked like a butler. But it's a giant spider named Griswold, voiced by Frank Welker, who sounds like the dog in Duck Hunt. Oh, I was going to say Muttley. From, no, Muttley, uh, that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Wacky racers. Yep, you're exactly right. In fact, that is the laugh. Yeah. That's, that's what he's, he's... I actually wrote it down here. Griswold is just an arachnid Muttley. He very much is. Uh, but he has a top hat, like a top hat and a waistcoat. He's dressed, he's up. He is, and, and pretty much immediately after the gang comes in and meets these two characters, the old lady transforms into Queen Morbidia, a very Vampirella-looking character. Is that what Vampirella looks like? Is that Vampirella? Am I thinking of the right thing? No, no. Vampirella wears, like, a sexy red bathing suit. 
and as, if, as you type it in, you will realize how correct. Oh boy! <laughs> Never mind. Right? It's a, she wears a sexy red bathing suit. Uh, um, young pubescent boys, don't Google that. Uh, what am I thinking? Bride of Frankenstein or something? Yeah, she looks like a, a Bride of Frankenstein vampire type. Is what I wrote in my note, and, and which is to say that she has a, a tall Marge Simpson esque Marge Simpson hair with a shock of white going through it. Essentially. And she says she's trapped him. The, what's What's interesting is that the shadow demon uh, makes an appearance, and they chase it. Yeah, that's right. I guess the cha- cha- the shadow demon kind of leads them away from Queen Morbidia and Griswold. Then the the shadow demon splits into two shadow demons. Shaggy and uh, Scooby chase one. Fred uh, Fred is not in this series, but Daphne, Flim Flam, and Scrappy chase the other. And to me, this is. This is like a true. This is typical Scooby Doo, regular Scooby Doo, a reversal at its finest. Mm. Because here we have um, the gang, the group, chasing the ghost, mm. which is which is it's the polar opposite. It's the polar opposite of like all other Scooby Doo media. That's that's true. I mean, it's it's not weird to me that well, I guess it is kind of weird. They they do make a joke about that when Scooby and Shaggy are chasing the ghost, but then the ghost is chasing them. The shadow's chasing them, and then they're like, ha. You've caught us right where you want us. <laughs> There's also a part, I think, where Vincent Van Gogh sets off to meet up. Yeah, so in, our review has been very disjointed, but mm. a lot happens in this episode, and a lot of it is very confusing. In some ways, this episode is kind of fascinatingly written. They're, they're, they're lost in the home, and I really want to make... I really want to make like a Mark Z. Danielewski reference here, and say that they, they're lost. <laughs> House of Leaves. In the, yeah, they're lost in the bowels of this home. But I've not finished House of Leaves, so I don't know if people get lost in that house. It just seems like something that would happen. Uh, I mean, yeah, it definitely does happen. <laughs> okay, okay, perfect, good. I I do still plan on reading that. Um, it turns out that they're lost, which Van Gogh predicted. Mm. Yeah, he just didn't get the chance to warn them about it. So what they decide to do is, uh, we're going to call Vincent Van Gogh and and tell him what's up. There are more technical difficulties. And in what seems a little odd to me, and, and not very characteristic, um, as far as I'm concerned, Vincent Van Gogh is like, ugh, I will just fly out and help them. A lot of this episode takes place from Vincent's perspective, perhaps because we're disconnected from him with the crystal balls glitching out. But yeah, he sets out on his way. He sets out on a magic carpet and flies out to meet them. Which, which he has to wear with a turban. Oh, that's right. He puts on a turban, which was very, you know, characteristic of spiritualists at the time, I think. But Vincent Van Gogh hasn't worn it in either of the past episodes, so I guess this is his going out turban. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, 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 it, it seems weird to me, like, um, did you ever play um, Metal Gear Solid? Yeah. I love that game. What's that guy's name with the glasses who you talk to? Is Otacon, it Otacon? yeah. He had the best snake! I think this would be like... He had my favorite one. Snake! <laughs> He's so whiny. To me, this would be like if Snake... Is his name Snake? Yeah. Solid yeah, Snake, snake. yeah. Solid Snake. It, it, this would be like if Solid Snake found himself in a conundrum, and then he was all like, Otacon, I need help. And Otacon was like, well, I guess, I, I guess I'll provide assistance in the best way I know how, and went to go meet with Snake. <laughs> That's what this is to me. You know, Otacon does show up in person in almost all of the games. But but does he, like, fight alongside Snake? No, because he's a coward and he's useless. He literally wets himself in the first game. Oh. Is there a better... I've, I just... On to me, at this point in time, Vincent Van Gogh has been bu- the behind-the-scenes... He's been, like the, like, the Barbara Gordon Oracle, you know? 
I do see what you're saying. To me, it's like the the uh, the computer chick from NCIS. If she like she got a sidearm and just went out on the field to chase some people. Yeah, it's so strange. You're, like you're you're the behind the scenes character, and I like the idea of it yeah. happening, but I feel like they did it too early. Yeah. Like, you need to very strongly establish that this person is always behind the scenes so that when they leave the office or the control room, it's like, whoa! Oh, I, you're right. I want to see that in the last or second-to-last episode where, the, like, the gang is in a seriously tight pinch and they can't communicate with Vincent Mangul, and then he shows up on his magic carpet, and he's not even sitting cross-legged. He's standing on it like a surfboard, and then he uses, like, hand lightning to save them or something. No, like, honestly, I want Vincent Van Gogh showing up to be like when Gandalf the White shows up in um, the two towers. That's a much better analogy than Merlin showing up at the end of uh, the Sword in the Stone, which is what I thought of. From does he come back from Disney World? Oh, he does. Wait, wait, wait. Or am I, or am I conflating it with the genie coming back at the end of Aladdin? No. Okay. Um, genie comes back from Disney World, but they both wear Hawaiian shirts. But Merlin wears the Hawaiian shirt as he's leaving to go to the Bermuda Triangle. Or is it coming back from? Sword in the Stone was such an amazing movie. Also, it broke my heart when uh, the squirrel romance oh, ended. I don't... Okay, first of all, you and I really, really connected with, with, that, with that budding romance that was created between um, Arthur, who had been turned into a squirrel, and then like an actual, real-life female squirrel. And I remember thinking yeah. as a kid, oh... It's fine. Merlin is just gonna turn the squirrel into a human girl. You, oh man, that's I, that hadn't even occurred to me. I just want Arthur to stay a squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize there was an option to go the other way. Because it's okay for Arthur to be a smart squirrel, but a a dumb bestial human woman <laughs> is kind of sad and scary. Who's just like craw- crawling up trees and breaking her teeth yeah. on nuts. But like, you know what? I gotta say, now that I think back on it. That might not age super well, because I don't know that Arthur was into it, even though I was. Like, that squirrel lady was very Pepe Le Pew with it was Yeah, pursuit. it was a little Pepe Le Pew-esque, but... Was Arthur into it at all? Or was this, like, a situation he, he, where he, Arthur could be tweeting me too? Arthur wasn't really into it. He was kind of... No, he, he wasn't. He, he was this initially was, I, put off, like... Arthur did not like being turned into animals. And, and like, the you, squirrel, again, like, Pepe Le Pew is, like, grabbing him, like, pulling him closer. Uh, but, but then when he becomes a human again, he sees her crying, which is heart-rending. It's heartbreaking, even though she is a sexual assaulter. She could, she could run for the Senate in Alabama and hold her own. But, but, listeners, if you saw Harvey Weinstein animated sitting in a tree... And using his little Weeping. his little paws to wipe these tears away. Oh, this is a Harvey Weinstein squirrel, by the way. It definitely ups the sympathy level. You would also just be like, oh, he didn't know. He didn't know. He's just a little animal. <laughs> you know, I do feel a little worse for Harvey Weinstein knowing that he's a squirrel turned into a human. <laughs> okay. You know what? Let's... Okay. Oh, well, we were talking about, like, Otacon and Snake and, like, Vincent Van Gogh. He's going to go and help them. And then that, that's the point at which it all devolved. Okay, so, yeah. so Vincent Van Gogh is en route to go help them. The part that I want to get to is where Shaggy and Scooby are kind of chased by the demon ghost, the demon shadow, shadow demon. They're caught by the shadow demon, but they're all caught out on stage in front of this whole gaggle of demons who we see silhouetted MST3K style. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, and they're all shocked. And it's also, 
the thing is that there's no context. I feel like in a better directed movie or show, um, more video would be out there, or or a different a different MC, and they'd, they'd be like, yeah. "Welcome to the annual uh, ghostly talent show." Uh, yeah, the Befuddle Hall show. Yeah, we're we're celebrate. This is a special show tonight because we're going to destroy this chest, and uh, mm. this is the most evil night of the year. So let's let's celebrate our talents and and on with the show. And then they burst through the curtain. Exactly that, but we don't really get context for why there's a stage here, why everyone's watching. The thing that I really loved that I thought was fascinating is that the demon shadow, shadow demon, seems nervous on stage, like a kid at its at his or her first talent show. Yeah, they're um abashed. I don't. That's not the right word, but it is. Yeah, I think so. A, a, well, maybe not exactly. Yeah, and and Scooby and Shaggy come out, and it's kind of a Scooby dupe because they start doing a musical number with canes and hats with the shadow demon, but it's kind of not duping the demon. It's kind of saving the demon. Um, they're on either side of the demon. They have, like you said, uh, canes and those little flat hats like a barbershop quartet would wear. Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins is what comes to mind for me. Perfect. And they're singing a song, and they're all looping their, um, their, their arms, and the shadow demon's in the middle, mm. but he's just barely mimicking their dance moves, and he is not singing with them. No, and he looks terrified. Like, my heart broke for the demon on the stage at that time. He's so sad. I, yeah, I definitely felt a lot of sympathy for the demon. And, and a lot of camaraderie between Scooby and Shaggy, who, at, at this point again, I still think the demon is the villain, but th being scared on stage is such a, an immediate sympathy-garnering thing. Here's what is going on. Like, it's a duet. It's a duet between Scooby-Doo and Shaggy. We both know what they sound like. Raggy. Like Scoob. Listen to... Yeah. Shaggy's but what's voice? going on with Shaggy's voice? Is that your question? It doesn't sound like Casey Kasem. Can you mimic it at all? Give me a moment, because I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to it and then I'll try. Perfect. So it's me and my shadow demon, and Scooby's like me and my shadow demon, or whatever. I'm not great at Scooby, but Shaggy, you would think would be like me and my, you know, like very like his his yeah. voice. Is shadow bad. demon, but. It's, um, it's like Tiny Tim. It's like, me and my shadow demon. It's, it's falsetto. It's like, he's, he's putting on that, like a falsetto. That neither sounds like, yeah, it neither sounds like Casey Kasem nor Shaggy. Me and my shadow demon. Oh, man. No, that's it, it fits with the very style, good. but it's weird. And, and <laughs> honestly, so... the duet together sounds quite nice. It doesn't with... sound bad. This is a good musical number, people. Yeah, you've got Scooby's like lower voice. You have uh, whatever Shaggy's doing, that higher range. It comes together really nicely. But once you begin to realize that that sound is coming out of Shaggy's mouth, it feels very wrong. And again, it doesn't sound like Casey Kasem or Shaggy to me. It sounds like they got someone else just for this. And I don't think Casey Kasem's a great singer. We've heard him in a theme song before. We know this. Tag along with Scooby-Doo. Scooby <laughs> Although that's better than tag along for Scooby-Doo. Which would be pretty weird. <laughs> okay, I, uh, that sounds so much... I'm, I'm trying to place that voice. Like, that voice that you're doing sounds like it's from something. I don't know. Well, it'll come, it'll come to us, maybe. Um... I, it's just so endearing to the shadow demon when they're on the stage and the shadow demon again is so scared so vulnerable it's a really fun scene and it's not it's not quite a scooby dupe no it's not quite because who's being duped here the audience i guess but again it seems more for the benefit of the shadow demon who's being saved than anyone else quick note to the audience this is not even our only musical number in this episode 
I, th- I think the thing is that they're already on stage. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. not... They're, they're mm. putting on a show because they need to put on a show. They're not really duping anyone. You know, like, they're doing a yeah. scene, but they're on a stage. They should be doing a scene. And it doesn't even really get them out of the hot water at all. Morbidia just shows up and kind of tells him, hey, you're all caught. Yeah, um, she catches all of them. The way that the rest of the group gets them is we have the first of a handful of scenes in which Scrappy implies that he and Scooby-Doo used to live together in a house. Really? I miss that. Uh, They're trying to fix the crystal ball because, again, they still want to get in touch with Vincent Van Gogh. Um, And Scrappy says... uh, Let's fix. I'm gonna fix the crystal ball like when Uncle mm. Scooby, uh, how Uncle Scooby used to fix the TV, and so he like bonks it, which is so that's the first thing. What I really should have been getting to is mm. this is a really weird connection to make, but um, the 3D projector on the on the crystal ball starts working, and do you remember the movie Inception? I do. I have no idea what the connection you're trying to make is, but I do remember it. It's the train. A train appears. It projects a train and it like blows. It knocks down a um, it knocks down yeah, a wall. Yeah, and they barely manage to jump out of the and way of it. I I gotta say, I really do like the way that train is introduced. It's visually striking and it's very engaging. It's it's honestly, I think it has a very similar effect in Inception. Like I think for some mm. reason, I think the guy starts dreaming about trains, and so a train just like appears in the middle of like a street. But yeah, the idea of like this enormous powerful like locomotive it's a very it's very visually striking and and i like the way they did it here and and like the light from the uh the light at the front of the train is kind of like blinding and flashing and yeah. disorienting i think christopher nolan is a hack <laughs> that's one i agree with you completely um i also like how one at one point we see flim flam without his shirt on and we see all these tattoos all over his chest to try and help him remember. Like, you see Flim Flam upside down. You see the name of his wife on his shoulder. Did Christopher Nolan direct Memento? He did. That's my favorite movie. I have not seen it. Wait, uh, it's your favorite Nolan movie or your favorite movie? Movie, period. Are you serious? I'm serious, yeah. What about what about A Knight's Tale? <laughs> oh, God. I always forget you. that's, like, your favorite movie. I really like A Knight's Tale. No, not A Knight's Tale. Don't shake your head like that. It's really no. good. It's okay. Not Knight's Tale okay, is we're not, okay. We're not friends anymore. We're okay. just going to keep doing this podcast. We're, we're still co-hosts, but this is something has changed. So um, what's really interesting about the fact that uh, Morbidia has captured them, you're going to be trapped forever, is that Morbidia is also looking for the chest. Yeah, that we find out. That's a great point. And it's they, like, what the what the heck? You're the evil person here. Yeah, didn't you steal the chest with the help of the shadow demon? But she seems neither aware of the ch- where the chest is, nor really aware of the shadow demon. Um, what takes place next makes me wonder if these episodes were somehow it could be aired aired in any order, and it wouldn't matter. Maybe I, I mean hmm. I don't remember Scubra Kadubra. I you know what? I'm sure they're aired in the right order. Or, or they have to be aired consecutively. Because Flim Flam is like, don't worry about this. I, I got it covered. Uh, I have a third cousin who had a brother who would probably also be Flim Flam's third cousin who had a parakeet, and that parakeet's former owner was a lawyer. So I'm going to, like, I'm going to lawyer this bee. Like, I'm going to, like, don't worry about this. And it's like, Flim Flam, you don't have to do any of that. You literally pretended to be a lawyer last episode. Yeah, and I, I gotta say, we, we've got, there aren't really any Scooby-Doops in this series, but we do have Flim Scams. Oh, man, you, that's good. I don't like... Yeah, is that okay? That's good. I just, do you, do you remember in Scooby Kadubra where him and Scrappy are the lawyers? Oh, I love, <laughs> the one where the conclusion to the argument was a big kiss on the lips. 
<laughs> yeah, so that's what I'm saying. He, this episode should have come first, so that when that happens next, there's already precedent for Flimflam being a little lawyer. That's a good point, and plus, then we know where it comes from. Flimflam is also a terrible lawyer, in that he cites no legal precedent. He simply makes an appeal to emotion, <laughs> saying, <laughs> "No, I'm a single mother. I have multiple children." <laughs> um. Yeah. They're, so they're stuck in this jail. It's very confusing for them. Oh, really quick, before we get to the jail, I gotta say, uh, Queen Morbidia does give us a little bit of context for this gathering of ghosts. Sorry to interrupt, but she calls it the AFLCIM, or I think it was the AFLCIM, but she calls it the Associated Federation of Crazy and Irresponsible Monsters. Why is irresponsible necessary there? Yeah, why, why even crazy and irresponsible? It doesn't make a snappy acronym at all. Yeah, you would think, honestly, the whole point of abbreviations in cartoons is for them to be fun. Like, we're, yeah. we're ghosts. We're a gruesome host of uh, spiritual Supernatural terrors. Supernatural spiritual terrors, yeah. We're, yeah, ghosts. Um, we're, we're monster. We're monstrous of... And okay, yeah, yeah <laughs> so it should make a... <laughs> I'm not going to try. Um, but they're the A-F-L-R-O-C-I-N, the Association of... Associated Federation of Crazy and Irresponsible Monsters. I don't know if we see irresponsible play out here. <clears throat> There's no running with scissors or, like, children left unsupervised. It's weird, man. I, I, I didn't catch that, so I am kind of glad that you brought that up. Well, thank you for that. Anyways, they, they are imprisoned because the Flynn scam does not work. And then Griswold shows up. Griswold being the, the, the very prim and proper spider. Yeah. The butler-looking spider who's not a butler. He's not a... And butlers don't wear top hats. I guess... Well, don't... But, uh, you're probably right. Butlers do not wear top hats. They're... I think it's a magician. I'm I'm conferring magician qualities onto butlers because they both have tails. Oh. Coattails. Yeah. But Griswold chases them out of the uh, out of the prison What cell. happens is, um, at one point, Scoob gets trapped in a web, and the shadow demon is coming as well, and the shadow demon actually catapults Scoob out of the web, saving him true enough they they make their way there's a a, cre a crevice there's a there's a bit of a crack in the wall and they all m make their way through griswold actually gets stuck so his rear end um Gris griswold has his head stuck through he's kind of he looks like a big game hunter who's very short and could not put his trophies up any higher on the wall yeah <laughs> just like if a mouse were also a big game hunter and caught a spider. The The scene that follows really sticks with me because it's the most boring corridors scene we've ever had and probably ever will have. Like, imagine a corridor scene. Actually, I'm saying imagine, but this is literally what it is. It's a corridor scene, but they're walking. It's a corridor scene without the villain. So the, the gang is just walking from one corridor. You know, the hallway corridor scene where they're walking. Normally, the ghost is chasing them through one door, out another door. They're all chasing the ghost. The ghost is chasing everyone. Everyone is carrying the ghost. The ghost is carrying everyone. It's a great gag, but here, they're just wandering from one hallway to another. Yeah, it's uh, and then they find, they find out what the deal is with the Shadow Demon. Um, I, I wish I knew, hmm. I mean, I know celebrities pretty well. I wish I knew homely, homely famous people better. This guy looks, a, a little man steps out. And I mean, like, he's a little, not, he's not like a little person, but he's very, like, diminutive. He's very, he's like, you gotta be like five foot two. You, you know what I'm gonna say? I'm gonna say he's Ted Danson if he were as short as Ted Danson is tall. Yeah. 
that's not bad. He looks like not not bad, not exact. He looks like he works for NPR. <laughs> oh, burn NPR people. <laughs> I don't think that's inaccurate. I think that's pretty. No, good. I don't think so. He's he's super short, but he's he looks very dignified. He looks like a professor of archaeology. Uh, and and it turns out that the shadow demon is his shadow. Yeah, and that it came about because Queen Morbidia took over his home, which is Befuddle Manor. And when she he's he's Byron Befuddle. He's Byron Befuddle himself, and uh, and so when Queen Morbidia took over, that's when his shadow came to life. But his shadow apparently didn't become evil. He still has control over his impish shadow. We we kind of need to break down Byron Befuddle's whole plan because what he did was he got his shadow to break Vincent Van Gogh's crystal ball, so that there would be uh, a loss of communication between the gang and and Vincent Van Gogh. And he also stole the chest from the gang, so the gang would go to the manor to help. Mm. And and when they're just like, "What's the deal, man? Like, how how were you aware of all this?" He gives this very creepy, like, "I know a lot of things." Oh yeah, he really didn't justify that at all, did he? He just and it's just like, if if you knew a lot of things, then you knew that this night was the night of great was the power. Worst night, yeah, and you could have stolen it in the daytime. So like, what's your like, what's your damage like what yeah what's your deal man do you think that would have made the gang go to get the chest faster yeah like like let's let's make this as dangerous and and high stakes a situation as possible yeah he uh he has his shadow demon kill flim flam so the <laughs> gang comes after him with a taste for revenge i knew it was the only way i could really make you come get me <laughs> like yeah he's he's put them in a very precarious position by stealing this chest at the time he has uh, but they basically come to an agreement, and it's like, look, if we save you, if we get you out of Befuddle Manor, you give us the chest back. And it just, like, it's a weird it's a weird mutual agreement to come to, because it seems so nefarious. This, this guy yeah, has... Co- he's really schemed them into a corner. Yeah, he's coerced them into helping him, not in, like, a, I need help, please help me, but in a, if you don't help me, bad, very bad things will happen. Kind of way. Yeah, he's kind of using his position of power to manipulate these poor young teenagers into doing exactly what he wants them to do. Hashtag me too. Actually, though? <laughs> actually? <laughs> you mean actually that is kind of what it is? No, like... Uh... No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's... Uh, I mean, Byron's not really a good guy in this situation, although we do have to recognize he is a hostage of Queen Morbidia at the same time. So, they come to that agreement... Um, Griswold is doing his best, like, here's Johnny, uh, impression. Because he's, he he's breaking through the wall. He's trying to get him, uh, to get away. It turns out that Byron Befuddle thought the best place to hide this chest would be Morbidia's bedchamber. Oh, yeah. And everyone, as soon as he says, I hid it in the last place she'd look, Morbidia's bedchamber. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, yeah, totally. That sounds good. Oh, yeah, it's a smart plan, man. Good job, Byron. Uh, it's it's in the closet. Why, um, why did they think that was the last place Morbidia would look? That's the one place she'll spend time. I mean, and another thing is, it's not Morbidia is not an original resident of Befuddle Manor, so it's not yeah. like she's super familiar. If anything, in this unfamiliar room, you think that she might want to root around mm. in the closet and the drawers and whatnot, and look through everything. And what's Byron doing in her bedchamber, such that he has? 
freedom to enter there. And he kind of seems to have the run of the place, like almost like he's not. It, it didn't. It never seemed like he was hiding from the ghosts. No, it didn't. Like he maybe he was, and he just really knew his way around because it was. It's a very confusing manner. We know that it's like a maze, so presumably you could hide if you wanted to. I I think in the margins there's we could see uh, some justification for My Byron's behavior, but we have to project a lot. We got the second instance of, of this whole, the fact that Scooby and Scrappy, Scrappy were cohab, cohabitating. Oh man, you, you caught a lot of this stuff. What was the second one? The, the second one is um, Scooby, op uh, Scrappy opens the closet and all this crap falls on him. And he's like, this always happens whenever I open Uncle Scooby's closet. Uh, and it's just like, it's weird to think of Scooby-Doo having a home that has a closet in it. Yeah. Like you don't think of Scooby as living in a doghouse like, like Snoopy. But you don't think of Scooby, you you think of Scooby living in a house, but not in owning things in that house. Yeah, and not of like watching TV and then the TV going on the fritz and then Scooby Fonzieing the uh, <laughs> or Fonzing the the TV like giving a knock on top. Again, the backstory to this series sounds fascinating. I really want to know. I want to know Flim Flam and Vincent Van Gogh's backstory. I want the the short film at least about how they came to know each other. I want to see Scrappy and Scooby living together beforehand, and definitely whatever happened to Fred and Velma. Yeah, like what is going on there? I so they're in Morbidia's bedroom. I, we said bedchamber, but it's her bedroom. Her chamber. It's a bedroom. And yeah. she shows up, and it's like, why are people surprised? That yeah, this has got to be the worst place to hide it because yeah, why wouldn't she look in the bedchamber? The whole place is, it's like you said, this isn't her home home. If it was my room and you just snuck something in my room, I might not find it for a long time. But if I moved into a new room and I was looking for something, I'd look in that room. I mean, she might have just been going to the room because it's her room. Yeah. I mean, I think this must be Byron's room because he lives um, alone. So it was his room at one point. Again, yeah. I have not read Mark J. Danielewski's House of Leaves. Mark Z. Danielewski, isn't it? Mark Z. Danielewski's House of Leaves. Um, I just know that it's a confusing, scary house, which is what they're inside, because they start trying to run away, and you get this very creepy vibe, because Byron Befuddle's like, we're gonna take this, uh, with this flight of stairs down, we're, we're trying to get to the basement, because the basement's the way out of this home, so we're gonna take this one flight of stairs down, and we're mm. gonna take this other flight of stairs down. I believe they do it three times before they get to the, the basement. That was the next part of the gave me an actual big laugh because it's like they're running down one staircase and he's like, now another staircase. They run down another staircase. Just one more staircase. They run down another staircase. And maybe it's just my memory, but I remember like five more staircases. I'm, pos that. I'm positive there are three. That would have been very funny though. It's just like the repetition would have made it hilarious. And it's not even like, yeah, and it's that they run down a staircase. Griswold follows them down a staircase. They run down another. There's a whole nother shot of Griswold following them. You know what it made me think of? though mm -hmm. it made me think of that really creepy story about the guy who goes to like a shopping center or something and he's taking the escalators down but he goes too far down um and then he realizes that like he's like 40 floors under the ground but the only escalator is a down escalator so he has to like climb up the escalator to get back up to the top and he keeps climbing and he's like all of his energy is like wearing down because like he's going up the down escalator is that that super um, postmodern story the mezzanine i haven't read that yeah i think that is it. i was i was likening it to a creepypasta but it might be like an actual short story i i don't know i haven't actually read it i think it's novella but um it, I, I just love the fact that it feels like that scene goes on forever 
Um, but they do get to a window somehow, and they jump out of it. They've got the chest. They're running up a hill. All of the monsters are chasing them. Griswold and Queen Morbidia at the head of the group. They get to the, to the basement, according to, to BB, Byron Befuddle, hmm. uh, and there's a window. So you're like, this can't possibly be the basement. They look outside, and they're in the highest tower. Yeah. They're at like, <laughs> the top of the highest tower. <laughs> if they had focused more on that, about how this is like uh, Befuddle Manor, is this house that like doesn't make sense that would have been so cool yeah it would have been great the only part we really get that sense in is when they're doing the corridor scene which again it's the most boring scene in the history of scooby-doo like basically what they would be doing and you know how you and i like write we've been like writing scooby-doo episodes from time to time i think this would be it would be so cool because basically what, what we would be doing or what the people who made this episode might have thought about but did not follow through on is you take the corridor scene and you work backwards from that. What kind of house mm. is does the corridor scene make sense in? This house of like of like MC Escher-esque, you know, like proportions or uh, construction. I, house of Leaves is a perfect example for it. And uh and yeah, there's kind of, there's a bit of a missed opportunity there. Um what happens next is the gang is kind of trapped at the top of this mountain um and the monsters uh, are closing in. Did the way hear... that they get there, yeah, sorry, um, uh, just one thing to fill in a gap, is that the way they get out from the top of this tower is, at this point, Vincent van Gogh has finally shown up on his magic carpet, so they're able to, uh, yes. to jump onto it, and then there are too many of them, there's too much weight, just like, when I think, when I hear weight, it makes me think of, um, what's it called, the crucible? Where that guy, more weight. weight, and they're like putting stones on him to kill him, anyway. Without yeah. more in the show notes. So badass. Uh, yeah. They've escaped. They've escaped, and this is the last iteration, and I quote, Befuddle Castle. Oh my god. And you know what? Befuddle I would Manor, not even, Hall, and Castle we've had this episode. I would not even hate if that was part of that was part of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It starts out as Befuddle Manor, it becomes Befuddle Hall, it's Befuddle Castle, but that's Befuddle just part Bastion. of the shifting... Yeah nature of this of this building i think that'd be very cool i it does feel like a missed opportunity to me mm, i agree and uh and what follows i believe actually before we get to the second musical number of the episode i have to say uh vincent van gogh's suggestion of how they run out the clock is that they filibuster the ghosts did you catch that yeah vincent van gogh and i quote there's only one solution we filibuster and it's just like look Earlier on in this episode, because again, this show is ostensibly for children. You said ectoplasm. That's what ghosts are made of. Yeah. They don't explain what filibustering is. They don't. Is. It's like they expect kids to know what filibuster means. I didn't know what filibustering is until I was in college. Same here. And uh, ectoplasm at least is on, on model for these guys. It's at least in the right realm. Filibuster, this is not a politics. This isn't House of Cards. We, we don't have an expert. Even in House of Cards, someone would respond to that in such a way like, ah, filibuster, that's right. We'll need three-fifths consent in order to put, like, it, there's nothing um, like that in here. Um, and so the way they filibuster is with, like, a, a merry, uh, uh, like, carolers kind of sing-along song with words and a bouncing ball at the bottom. Uh, Morbidia makes the mistake of saying, I have the chest, I'm going to destroy the chest, I'm going to destroy you. Do you have any last words? Uh, which prompts... A, a, it, it is a sing-along and you and i were thrown for a loop when it took place in scuba cadubra it, it was mind-blowing i thought 
this must be on an island. I can't imagine this ever happens again in Scooby-Doo, how wrong I was, because it happens exactly again here. And I, I will say it's pretty funny. I do like it. I, I liked it. First of, first of all, I like the sing-along with the bouncing ball. It's fun for kids. They can The ball is bouncing on the lyrics that they have to sing. Um, everyone sort and then of, it bounces on Scooby's nose. It's, it's so funny to see... Um, Daphne, Shaggy, Scooby-Doo, Scrappy-Doo, Flim-Flam, and Vincent Van Gogh all singing it together. That's also uh, a, a fun image. I also want to say that everyone is kind of like rocking like carolers to the song, except Vincent Van Gogh, whose lips are barely even moving. He's not feeling the music, but he is. He's. A, I think he's mouthing along. I don't think he's singing. <laughs> Literal lip service from uh, from yeah. BVG. Literal. And of course, we can hear Shaggy. Good night, ghoulies. Good night, ghoulies. It's... <laughs> I don't think he does sound like that. I don't really hear Shaggy in this version of it. Um, what? The icing on the ca- cake? Cake has icing. Yeah. Cake has frosting. Does cake have... Cake has icing, yeah. I was going to say a milkshake. The icing on the milkshake that is this <laughs> wonderful little... Um, there's I- There's no <laughs> icing on a milkshake. No. The whipped cream on the top of the milkshake that is this fun little visual and visual and auditory okay. gag. I'll allow it. Mm-hmm. Is that the last... They're they're basically trying... Filibustering, they're trying to eat up time because once the sun mm-hmm. rises, the night of evil is over and they can defeat the ghosts. So they're trying to draw out the song. And as the song is going, my first thought was, a song? That's what you want to do here? Because it's going to be so short? Uh, because songs by nature are not very long. Songs that you sing are not very long. Uh, uh, an orchestra piece might be like 10 minutes long, but not a song that you sing. Your voice is going to get tired. Um, and when I think of filibustering, this is the perfect example, by the way. I think of Patton Oswalt's filibuster in Parks and Recreation. Ooh, I don't know if I saw that episode. Um, he, it, It's perfect because he talks about like a Star Wars, X-Men, Avengers crossover. And Disney, at this point in time, as of this past Thursday, owns all of them. Can now do that. Yeah. Like, like Patton Oswalt's filibuster legally could become a reality. Very prescient. Um, but yeah, but I think of you, like, talking about, like, like if I was going to filibuster, I would talk about comic books or Overwatch or something and just talk for, like, hours. But they do a song. Mm. Can you tell us how they draw that song out? Well, they draw it out by Scooby when he sings the final line, it's time to it's time to say goodbye. He hangs on the bye for as long as he can, like Phantom of the Opera, as he's pulling away as the the girl goes to sleep. It feels like it goes on way too long, and what everyone else does while Scooby's holding that note really pushes that scene over the top. I absolutely love it. Um, uh, Flim Flam is lying on the ground and he's playing. Jacks. He's playing jacks. Like, uh, Queen Morbidia is just, like, tapping her foot, like, glancing at her wrist. We uh, zoom into Vincent Van Gogh's wrist, and he's watching his watch, like, tick, t- tick time by. Griswold has a cat's cradle going on. <laughs> yes. It's it's just really fun. It's fun because it's, in, it's, it's interspersing cuts of Scooby trying to, like, every ounce of air left in his lungs is going his- into... His face is going thermometer red yeah, as he looks Morbidia like... files her nails. And, and yeah, it's just a cut to Scooby, cut to someone doing something, cut to Scooby, cut to someone doing something. And there are all these things that imply that this has been going on for, like, far, far too long. So long. For me, for some reason, Vincent Van Gogh just looking down at his wrist 
is one of the funniest frame, series of frames I've ever seen in Scooby-Doo. My favorite one was definitely Flim Flam playing Jax. I love the idea where it's just like, this is going to be a while. I'm going to pull out my Jax and my little red ball, and I'm going to play Jax <laughs> by myself. And being like on his knees so absorbed. It's Griswold doing Cat's Cradle. Also, it, it's just the funniest scene in the, this episode for certain. Um, and it works. Uh, he d- uh, Queen Morbidia does is trapped as the sun comes yeah. up. Yeah, Heming- Hemingway was completely right. The sun also rises. <laughs> and uh, Queen Morbidia, as the poem goes, uh, shrivels like a raisin in the sun. She, she, uh, thank you, Laxton Hughes. She turns into a rag. Yeah, I think it's because she drops the, the chest next to her, and so it soaks, it sucks in her ectoplasmic essence. Is that what happens? When, like, when the sun rises, a bunch of monsters, I thought it was going to be like when Blade kills a vampire in the movies. You know, they like, they ash and like they, a skeleton is left behind. Yeah. I expected like a lot of very gruesome imagery. Really, the monsters just run away. And, and now that you mention it, I just watched it. She, Morbidia does drop the chest. It pops open next to her, but then she melts like the Wicked Witch of the West, and nothing goes into the chest. It, she turns so into a piece that, of cloth. Yeah, which I think Flim Flam then scoops up with a, a small broom and tray, like he's a barber, and then puts into the chest. Um, at one point, uh, this is very, very quick, three vampires we have not seen at any point in this entire episode are like ah the sun and then they turn into bats they tr- and fly they turn into away. bats and they fly away and it's like what were you guys doing yeah where did you come from and also you weren't from the chest you're just vampires <laughs> i like to think that they showed up for the show for the musical it, number. If, if they had shown up on time that would have been responsible and they wouldn't really be members of the associated federation of crazy and irresponsible monsters if that were the case so it's it's on it's in character for them uh, but yeah, it, it, like, as far as I can tell, and, and here's the problem, there are no indications of this being the case, Morbidia is the second of the ghosts from the chest. Yeah, she's the only one. Not even the, the shadow demon was a ghost. I think maybe that's just a consequence of Morbidia showing up, so that was part of her powers that did that. Um, and that's, aside from the final gag, that's it. It's really, really weird. Because when I thought of, like, these are the 13 ghosts of Scooby-Doo, I thought that they would be, like, ghosts. Like, actual ghosts. We haven't seen a ghost yet. Aside from Bogle and Weird, who did not appear in the the last two episodes. Are they gone now? Are they ever coming back? No, why did they, at the end of the first episode, why did we see them hitching a ride on the airplane with the gang if we're not going to see them again? So bizarre, man. Like, I, basically what I was going to say was that the second ghost, the first ghost that they caught, not really a ghost so much as an evil sorcerer, and the second ghost that we've caught... Not so much a ghost as a vampire woman. As a, a demon queen of some sort. So hopefully we'll see a real ghost at some point for the 13 ghosts of Scooby-Doo. Because we definitely haven't seen one aside from Bogle and Weird yet, and I'm doubtful that they're coming back. Although, you know what? What if in the last episode of 13 Ghosts, we have kind of a retrospective of seeing how Bogle and Weird have been there all along? Just invisible. Invisible, but like impacting the events of everything. Like Kind they... of like a... A Lion King one and a half. Exactly that. Or like a How I Met Your Mother kind of thing where in the next episode we see how they've been present and they've been impacting the events the whole time. Uh, I'm giving way too much credit here. (laughs) It it would be cool. It's unlikely. Like, honestly, dude, I would love to rewrite The 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo. It's fresh for a remake. It's ripe for a remake. Just 13 tight episodes, each episode having a very strong theme. I, I feel, and, and then, yeah, you know, you have Vincent Van Gogh come back. 
and have it be momentous, have it be like a big deal. Yeah. They're just all of these ways that the show could be streamlined and improved and would be a lot of fun. Okay, so let's... And I, mm-hmm. I do think that the show is a lot of fun. I do think it is very enjoyable. I agree. And I think here's maybe my final question is, if we were to remake it, would we bring in Fred and uh, Velma into the remake, and what would we do with Flim Flam and Vincent Van Gogh? I actually think that we you would, I would keep all the pieces as they are. Really, I, I would. Um, I would. Mm. I would m- maybe make Flim Flam a little girl. Oh, okay. Just because when Vincent Van Gogh is there, you realize really it, it becomes starkly apparent that Daphne's the only woman. It's really dude heavy. I uh, I think I would I would bring Fred and Velma into this. I would um, I'd maybe I'd lose Scrappy. I would keep Flim Flam, but I'd put him more in a Vincent Van Gogh type role, where he and Vincent Van Gogh kind of work together from a distance and show up occasionally. Hmm. So they're kind of a separate team. I I, I would try. I think I would try to um, I would, I think I would try to make Flim Flam work as. Uh, he exists in in the show presently. I, I feel like I I put him as more of a tertiary character, more someone who shows up on occasion to help, very much like Vincent Van Gogh, than central to it. I st- I'm still not crazy about Flim Flim. I gotta say I don't I don't know. I hope I haven't said something different. But no 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 I I don't love Flim Flim like by any means. I just yeah I I would I would more just try to. Work I admire with that it. you would try and work with the pieces as they exist to try and make a good series out of that. I think what I really want to see is I I want to see. This, a cross between this and Shaggy and Scooby-Doo get a clue. I want to see just Shaggy and Scooby-Doo going on adventures trying to catch 13 ghosts as everyone else is from a distance. No, I'm kidding. That'd be the worst thing in the world. <laughs> It'd be the worst series ever. Um, you know what? No, what I want to see, I want to see Shaggy and Scooby-Doo get a clue, but I don't want it reworked. I want to see <laughs> get Scrappy Doo and Flim Flam get a clue, Ooh. and I want it animated in the style of, of Beast Cool Scooby Doo. <laughs> Arguably, to some people, this would be the worst of all worlds. Even though I love Be Cool uh, animation, but everyone has the bodies of the uh, of the Secret Six. <laughs> I was gonna say the bodies of um, of. Uh, the go animate characters. Ooh, the worst of every world. <laughs> so can, they can only shake their, uh, raise their arms in joy. But the the dialogue to action balance of Scooby Doo Apocalypse. <laughs> oh my! So so now we, we for for listeners for whenever we do another Q and A episode, this has been the worst of all possible worlds for Scooby Doo. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, everyone has the temperament of Fred from Samsters production. Oh, honestly. Honestly, this just occurred to me now. I feel like this Scooby Doo show by Samster Five Six Seven Seven is a glimpse into hell. <laughs> it's certainly you're in you and Mai's private version of hell. I'm I'm not even kidding. I'm just like this is this is what hell is for the for the Scooby Doo characters. For for you and me, heaven is. Be cool, Scooby Doo never ends, and it always like it's it's serialized forever. Hell is Samster's Scooby Doo never ends, and it's the only thing we can watch. Honestly, here's my here's a here's a bit of an idea. I think that Samster five six seven seven the Scooby Doo show is hell for Shaggy mm. because Shaggy is the only character who seems sort of like on brand because Fred is like an angry raging a hole. Uh, Daphne is. Um, just mm. very vapid and uh like you know uh insubstantial 
Velma... Velma seems kind of unaffected by everything. Yeah. And Scooby is mute. Yeah, Scooby's barely there. So, which is... So to me, Shaggy did did a horrible... He made some... Committed a horrible sin, and now he's trapped in this world. This is his hell. Oh, man. Whereas heaven for Shaggy is Shaggy and Scooby do get a clue. Because he's brave, and he's cool, and he's rich. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, he's... He is he is brave and cool. Yeah, and, and like it doesn't make sense, and everything works out well for him. Mysteries Incorporated is heaven for Freddy because it's traps galore. Is it is it hell for Velma? I, th- I think it's hell for Velma and Daphne. Oh, for, uh, maybe more for Daphne than for Velma, because for Velma, Shaggy actually reciprocates Velma a little bit. Does have some action yeah. with Shaggy? Yeah. I, I, and I think I still agree with you that Samster 5677 is hell for the viewer, for the audience. So many viewers, man. So popular. All right. The final gag in this episode, just to put a cherry on top, is Flim Flam and Scooby flying away on Vincent Van Gogh's carpet, leaving presumably everyone else stranded. Yeah, for some, like, basically the crystal ball has been broken. Uh, Vincent Van, uh, Flim Flam was like, don't worry, don't worry, Vincent. I'll take it to the repair shop. And Vincent's like, the closest one is a thousand miles away. Flim Flam's like, don't worry, I'll, or like, it's cool. I'll, I'll take the magic carpet if that's all right. And Vincent's like, yeah, okay. And so Flim Flam's like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to go. And then Vincent's like, oh, wait, no, my carpet? Scooby, Scooby is dressed as like Morgan Freeman in Driving Miss Daisy. (laughs) That is what Scooby's dressed like. And here's what, I have not seen that movie. It's still a good poll. You know, Morgan Freeman might not even be dressed like that, but it's how I imagine, and I have seen that movie. Uh, yeah, and then uh, it ends with at a kind of like Dennis the menace and Flim Flam! Yep. And that is The 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo, Episode 3, Me and My Shadow Demon. But that's it. Me. kills me like it's <laughs> i don't know why i'm gonna i'm gonna remember i'm gonna remember where is it like not the sims i was for some reason i thought itchy and scratchy it's not that it's it's some it's an older cartoon where that voice is from someone who sounds like this south not south park i i have no idea i can't pull it at all for me that's just the highest i can go what without sacrificing clarity can you do can you do mickey mouse jeez uh, donald what? <laughs> I don't know, Goofy. Oh, that was that was that was pretty good. Like, <laughs> yeah. I actually might. It's gotta have lots of spikes. I feel bad that I brought this up because I was like, oh man, I'm gonna I'm gonna showcase my Mickey Mouse. It's gonna be good, but my throat <laughs> feels terrible right now. Ooh, then maybe you could do a good Donald Duck. I can't do. I I don't. I for the life of me have no idea how you're able to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Demons with throat problems is a good path to Donald Duck. I, I'm watching um, MT7 in the background. <laughs> watching her rethink her life choices. Whatever brought her to here. Behind her, her shirtless life partner makes Daffy Duck sounds in front of a laptop. As she looks back to see this balding shirtless young man go, Me. And my shadow <laughs> demon. <laughs> <laughs> what?
what could be less appealing in a life partner? Oh my goodness. Oh. Mm. Okay, uh, Scooby Dudes, this episode has been a ride. I am not even sure what it's going to sound like in its entirety. Yes, if you liked else. what you heard for some reason, Whom there you know? are a multitude of ways to keep up with us. Yeah, if you're if you're a mother in your forties and social me and your social media outlet of choice is Facebook, please follow us at facebook.com slash Scooby Dudes. Yeah, like that. And if you feel like following us elsewhere, you can also follow us on Twitter. We are the Scooby Dudes on Twitter at the Scooby Dudes. Hit up our website, ScoobyDudes.com. I mentioned in this show a lot that I was going to put stuff in the show notes. Go to that website, click on the link to this episode, scroll on down, and I'll have time-stamped um, things that we've said, and I've just elaborated on them. I've put YouTube videos uh, and other things. Lots of great trivia there. So ScoobyDudes.com, please check that out for original artwork and great additional content. If you want to shoot us an email, it says so on the website, but we are ScoobyDudesPodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you're thinking. Let us know what you like or you don't. If you like this show, if you thought to yourself, ah, oh, man, um, you, you know how uh, Tatooine only has two stars that it orbits around? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Take your word there. Uh, I think it would be way better if um, if there was a planet that orbited five stars. Mm, yeah. This... This podcast is kind of like Tatooine in that it's got two stars right right at the center of it, me and Evan, but you, you want to be like two and a half Tatooines and give us five stars. Oh boy, <laughs> I don't feel like I've earned five stars. <laughs> on, on iTunes, give us a five-star review on iTunes. Five-star review I, on iTunes, please. Man, that like I liked where I was going because I was like, oh, Star Wars just came out. Like Tatooine, Dantooine, they're, they're uh, desert planets with two suns. And it started, I started saying it, and I was like, oh, no. I, I heard it, I'm like, oh, two stars. Like, Evan and I are stars. That's also a good angle. Oh, no. Let's go back to voices. <laughs> Me and my shadow demon. Dude, I bet it was Casey Kasem, like, honestly. This is remarkable to me. <laughs> I love it. I love the parts where you're like, they wrote this thing in and then later realized the actor could not do it. It's, it's amazing. I, oh, man. What were we talking about? Oh, yeah, right. Give us a five-star review on iTunes. Whatever you write as the review, Evan will read on air. He'll he'll blast it out on the podcast, whether you're roasting us, praising us, or telling us how Evan loves me. You know, write whatever you like. Uh, I might I might even do a voice. Who knows? Who knows? Can, can we say that anything they put in parentheses at the beginning, in terms of direction, you, you have to take? So parentheses, as goofy? Yeah. I, have you, okay, have you ever heard... Yeah. Um, Pro ZD's um, YouTube, it, it's on YouTube. It's um, him doing Goofy singing Evanescence's "Bring Me to Life." It's the fourth autofill on uh, on Google. It's I love it. It actually slays me. I think it's one of the funniest things on the internet. true to goofy and it's also true to the song wake me up (laughs) wake me up wake me up inside i can't wake up (laughs) 
Ooh, best click of the day right there. Okay, that's that's the end of this episode. I don't, I don't envy you having to cut this down. I, I apologize. The one last yeah, sorry. Th- yeah, me, I don't envy me either. The one last thing, please visit us on Patreon if you'd like to help support us. The the podcast does take a penny or two to get up and running, and so we'd love your donations. If you do donate to us, you'll get regular content. Uh, and uh, the place you can follow up with us, Scooby Dudes uh, or Patreon.com slash Scooby Dudes. Um, again, not only additional content, we'll give you a shout out the first time you donate, every week you donate. That's who we're going to shout out right now is our recurring donors. Yeah, so I hope you have, I hope you have like an hour set aside because that's, we're just going to. We have so many donors to get through and we're, we need to We're going to read all of their names. All so, of their names. Uh, strap in. There they were, all of our donors. We love them all. Please become one of them so we can love you too. Just like I love you, Evan. Save me. (laughs) I can't wake up. Uh, I gotta listen to that now. Alright, peace, folks. Bye.